I think it's safe to say that the book of Psalms is the most popular book in the Old Testament among us Christians. It is the most frequently quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. In fact, quotations and allusions to the Psalms are found in every book of the New Testament except for 1 Thessalonians, Philemon, and 2nd and 3rd John. Psalm 23 is probably the best-known text in the world. The book of Psalms was the first book printed on the Gutenberg Press. Whenever the New Testament is published apart from the Old Testament, the book of Psalms is often included with it. The Psalms are prayers of petition and praise expressed in music and poetry. Music has this special way of inspiring the listener and also helps aid in memorization. Most of us who have been in the church for a while have found those great hymns of the past as they've settled deep within our hearts have been great comfort in times of trial and suffering. And the Psalms were the first hymn book. For centuries, the church only sang the Psalms in their corporate gatherings. It's pretty amazing that songs and prayers that were written 3,000 or so years ago are still in such demand and use today in our world. There's 150 Psalms in total, and then they're divided into five books. I'm not sure if you know this, but the Psalms are not in chronological order. They were compiled uh, possibly by King Hezekiah and then divided into five books. And then those who compiled the Psalms put some together because they fit together. Um, the call to worship that we have on Sunday mornings mainly comes from the Psalms. The Psalms reflect basically every human emotion. John Calvin called the Psalms mirrors of the soul. In the Psalms, we find out how to bring our fears, our anger, our distress, our joys, our anxieties to God in prayer and in song. And so I'm excited this morning. We're going to start a new series in the book of Psalms. We're going to be in it for the next couple months. And this morning, we're beginning with the first Psalm, Psalm 1. So please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one on the pew in front of you and turn to page 418. And as you're turning there, I just want to share that it's very possible that David was the author of this psalm, uh, but we're not sure. So we don't, we don't really know who wrote this psalm, but most likely it was David. Psalm 1 opens the Psalter, and what it does, it prepares the reader for entering into the whole book of Psalms. It's often called the gateway to the Psalms because it identifies who the Psalms were written to, the righteous. Let's look at Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, 
he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In today's world of social media, we're all familiar with hashtags, right? There's those words that at the beginning of them have that pound sign, and it helps us express ourselves online. And and one of the hashtags that seems to pop up everywhere is hashtag blessed. It's the digital way of saying, look at me, I've got it all. Right? You, you're at the beach, you take a photo of yourself with the ocean in the background, hashtag blessed, the blessed life. People use that hashtag to show off their success, their wealth, and their happiness. But there's more to the word blessed than it means the eye. What will make you truly happy? I think everyone in this room wants to have a good life, wants to have a happy life. What will make you truly blessed? And that's what we're going to look at as we dive into Psalm 1. We're going to take a closer look at what it means to truly be blessed. For those who are taking notes or really like structure, I've organized this sermon into three sections. So we will see the two ways in verses 1 and 2, the marks of the two ways in verses 3 and 4, and where the two ways lead in verses 5 and 6. So the two ways, the marks of the two ways, and where the two ways lead. And the main point, what I hope you see in the text is this. True blessedness comes from the grace of God. True blessedness comes from the grace of God. At the beginning of the Psalter, before anything, the opening words are, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. The first word of the Psalter is blessed. That word blessed could be translated as happy, but it definitely means more than what we often associate with with that word happy. Those who are blessed experience the divine favor of God. They experience God's grace. This is not a superficial happiness that comes and goes, hashtag blessed, because we all know when we take that beautiful picture of the ocean behind us, and we set our phone down, and we thought we set it down on the towel, but we set it down on sand, and then the water gets in the phone. It's not hashtag blessed anymore. So we're not talking about that superficial happiness that comes and goes, but a deep sense of joy from God's grace in our lives. Blessedness is not deserved. It's a gift. And the psalmist continues, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So this leads us to our first section, the two ways. There are two ways that we will see in this psalm, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. One road leads to blessing and the other to cursing. One road leads to salvation, the other to destruction. And notice that the blessed man doesn't do certain things in verse 1, and then he does do certain things in verse 2. So the psalmist begins with the negative, what the blessed man doesn't do. But why does the psalmist start there? Why does the psalmist start with the negative? Because that's what we're all prone to do, to, to find happiness, to find favor in what is sinful and evil. The blessed man doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. Do you see the progression there? We, we see this downward spiral of sin that the psalmist is pointing out here. There's a crescendo in the verbs, right? The way of the wicked is first walking, and then standing, and then finally sitting. First, he's influenced by sinners. Then he identifies with them. And then he spreads sin to others through his mocking of God and his word. Sin will take you from bad to worse. First, you're influenced. That's walking in the counsel of the wicked. You start listening to what the wicked say. You laugh at sin as you watch it on TV and movies. Instead of having godly grief, or maybe sometimes turning the TV off, you find it funny. You admire ungodly people in your life, maybe at your job or maybe at your school, maybe a celebrity that is far from God. As you listen to sinners, you want to be like them. And then it leads to you identifying with sinners. This is standing in the way of sinners. Standing in the way of sinners means doing what sinners do, standing where they stand. Their sinful lifestyle becomes your sinful lifestyle. Their attitude becomes your attitude. Their habits become your habits. And then there's one more step, sitting in the seat of scoffers. That word scoffer is not a word that we normally use today. A scoffer is someone who mocks, right? And in this case, they mock God and the people of God. But do you see that downward progression of sin in the text here? That is the way of the wicked. That is the way of the ungodly. And if we're honest, you and I listen to the counsel of the wicked too much. We have stood with sinners, and we've laughed and made fun of someone who's trying to obey God. To say it another way, you and I are sinners. If you disagree with me, well, the Bible says in 1 John 1.18, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We are all sinners. 
This is the way that sin works. When we try to find happiness, we end up going deeper and deeper into it because it can never truly satisfy. And the blessed man in this psalm, he doesn't do these things. He's not influenced. He doesn't identify with people who sin. And he definitely does not mock God. He understands, like the Apostle Paul and 1 Corinthians, that bad company ruins good morals. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The blessed man lives by God's direction, and he's not influenced by the wicked. God blesses the one who is constantly and intentionally focused on the law. The word law here is the Hebrew word for Torah, which means instruction. The first people who read this psalm only had the first five books of the Bible. But when you read that word law, we often think commandments. But here the word law refers to everything that God had revealed at that point. Even in those first five books that they had, they had the story of the God who made the world. They had the story of a God who never gave up on his creation, even when human sin defiled it. They had a God who called a family to be the way in which he would bring his light to the whole world. There was so much to delight in, even in those first five books. The blessed man finds great joy in God's word because he loves God and he wants to learn how to please God. And there are people in the church today who don't delight in God's word. They think they know all that they really need to know. And they don't want anyone to tell them what to do. And if you are this way, you're never going to delight in God's word. And in reality, you cannot know God because God reveals himself through his word. The place to find happiness, to find lasting joy, there's only one place to find it, and that's in God's holy word. The blessed man delights in it. God's blessing is for those whose hearts love and delight in his word. And so if your heart delights in God's word and it's engaged, then your mind will be engaged as well. The blessed man's delight in the law of the Lord leads him to meditating on it day and night. It says on his law, he meditates day and night. And that verse is very similar to what God says to Joshua. And Joshua chapter one, verse eight, God says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. That word meditate here doesn't refer to that practice of shutting off your brain and not thinking. Here the word refers to locking in your thinking. In fact, the word meditate means to murmur or mutter. It has the sense of talking to yourself. So sometimes you'll see athletes talking to themselves right before they're going to compete. 
right? That's what this blessed man is like. He's constantly thinking about, reminding himself of God's word day and night. He's diving into the scriptures, wanting to know God and how to please him. So my question to you this morning is, is your delight in God's law? Do you meditate on God's word? Do you study God's word? What are some ways that we can meditate on God's word? Practically. Well, first we need to to spend time reading the Bible. Maybe a good Bible reading plan would help. But be careful, because the goal in reading the Bible through a year can become a motivation to just accomplish a task. And that's not what the psalmist is saying here. The psalmist here wants us to meditate, to take our time, to think about what we're reading. But initially, you have to read the Bible. You have to get to know the God of the Bible. Another thing you can do is pray. You can write a couple verses down on Post-it notes and place them in places that you'll often see them. Music is a powerful way to meditate on God's word. There's this band called The Corner Room, and all their lyrics come straight from the scripture passages. And so they have have an album out on the Psalms. They just came out with an album on the words of Jesus. It's awesome. You guys should listen to it. The Corner Room. Some people set an alarm to remind them to think about God's word throughout the day. And then one of the greatest things to do is to memorize Scripture. As we read it, as we mark it, as we learn it, as we sing it and meditate on it, we will find that we have been brought into a condition of blessedness. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. And so the contrast between these two ways can be put like this. It's the difference between those who are in love with sin and those who are in love with God. The first group delights in the way of sin, and they devote themselves to it. And the second love God and delight in his word, so they devote themselves to studying and thinking about it often. When we see the blessings of godly people next to the emptiness of the world, that stark contrast is supposed to make us choose the way of the blessed man. The godly are richly blessed because they do not live according to the sinful philosophies and associations of fallen men. They're blessed because they're deeply rooted in the word of God. The godly don't associate themselves with Pride Month or pro-abortion rallies because these are the ways of the wicked. We need to be careful what we put in our minds. We need to be careful on what we're listening to and who we're taking counsel from. Everything you need to live a happy and rich and fulfilling life, everything is found in God's word. So we've seen the two ways. Now let's look at the marks of the two ways. Verses 3 and 4 move to a picture of what the blessed and what the wicked are like. Verse 3 says, he, the blessed man, 
is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit and its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So what does God's favor look like? What does the blessed life look like? Well, here the psalmist says it looks like a tree planted by streams of water. It's rooted and it's bearing fruit. It almost sounds like the psalmist is going back, drawing imagery from the Garden of Eden, where the man was in a state of blessedness and lived in unbroken fellowship with the living God. And there was a river that ran through the Garden of Eden, and there was a tree of life. And notice here, the tree in the psalm is planted. It's put there for a reason. God places this blessed man in a place where he's nourished by the streams of water. Streams of water represent the law that the man meditates on. The word brings encouragement. Those who meditate on God's word and delight in it are like a tree whose roots have a never-ending source of water. And this tree bears fruit in its season. As you delight and meditate on God's word, fruit will be produced because of it. The psalmist doesn't name these fruits, but we can imagine what some of them would be like. Faith in seasons of doubt. Patience in suffering. Peace in difficult times. Showing mercy when we're sinned against. Strength in temptation. And being prayerful in all seasons. This tree bears fruit And it's also evergreen. It's not like the pine trees right outside of my house that are uh, ever browns. Its leaf does not wither. Even in the dry summer months, when the grass gets brown, these trees' roots are dug down deep and drinking the nutrients of the streams of water that are near it. Even in the dry seasons, our faith will be Sustained. And then the psalmist says, In all that he does, he prospers. Now we need to be careful, right? Because the psalmist isn't saying that those who meditate on the word and delight in it are going to have their careers just take off and tons of money in their bank accounts. This is not talking about a financial and physical prosperity, but spiritual prosperity. When we look at the world sometimes, it can look like the wicked are the ones who are prospering. They're the ones who have all the money. They're the ones who have all the possessions, all the cars, all the homes and the vacations. In Psalm 73, the psalmist Asaph admitted to the Lord that he was envious of the prosperity of the wicked. And yet here, we're reminded that the godly prosper in ways that truly matter. all the good things, and all the bad things that come our way are prosperity. All the good and all the bad. How many people here can testify that through difficult trials and seasons of life, that's where God proved to you that he is who he said he is? 
How many here are thankful for the trials and the afflictions because they have refined your faith? Helped you to say no to sin and dig deeper and run harder into the arms of Christ? Where they've helped you to let go of the temporary things and hold on to the eternal. In all of this, he prospers. This is the picture of the blessed man, a tree planted beside streams of water, bearing fruit, being evergreen and prospering. Now look at what the psalmist says about the wicked. Verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So the blessed man gets four lines, and the wicked only get one short line. And it's brutally brief. Rather than being a sturdy oak tree, the wicked, the ungodly, are described as like chaff. However strong the standing of the sinners may seem, however successful they may look, they are like chaff. The imagery here is, is drawn from when grain was harvested and the grain would be gathered and, and brought up to an elevated place called the threshing floor. And at these threshing floors, they, they would have a very strong wind that would always come through. And so what they would do is they would take the grain, they would throw it up in the air, and the worthless, useless chaff would fly away and the heavy grain would fall back down onto the threshing floor. The chaff was the husk that covered the grain. Chaff is worthless. You just get rid of it. I'm familiar with this. Um, many of you know I'm a coffee snob. And uh, my snobbery reaches its peak sometimes when I decide to roast my own coffee. Um, I have a decommissioned popcorn popper that I use to roast coffee. And I will buy green unroasted coffee, throw it into my popcorn popper, and after a few minutes, chaff will start blowing out of that thing and land on our deck. And I don't even wipe it up. Because I know once a breeze passes by, that chaff will be blown away by the wind. That's what the psalmist says about these people. They don't produce fruit. Their lives are husks. They have no roots to hold them steady. They're blown away by the wind. They are useless and worthless. Many people who are chaff can hide it well, even some who go to church. But when the winds of difficulty and affliction come into their lives, the truth is revealed. If only those who are running away from God could understand this. There's two completely different pictures that the psalmist gives us here. A tree, rooted, strong, fruitful, prospering, and chaff. Which life is yours? Which life would you want to have? Consider finally the, where the two ways lead. 
Verses 5 and 6 reflect on these, where these two kinds of life are heading. Verse 5 begins with therefore, showing that the psalm is coming to a conclusion. The psalmist writes in verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Again, the wicked may seem like they're winning. They may seem successful, but they cannot stand in the end. They will not stand in the judgment. Most likely, the judgment referred to here is the final judgment at the end of time. And so what is being said here is that they will not be accepted by God when they stand before him on the last day. They will be exposed for who they really are. They will be justly condemned for their sin and spend an eternity in hell. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. In Revelation chapter 6, when John sees the judgment of God, what does he say? Who can stand? Who can stand in the judgment of a holy God? And what's the answer? No one. No one can. And yet, John also sees a multitude too great to number standing around the throne. Standing, not because of anything that's in them, not because they're better, or because they're committed churchgoers and had perfect church attendance, not because of anything that they had done. It's all because of faith in Jesus Christ. It's all because of the grace of God. And Psalm 1 cannot be understood apart from Psalm 14.1, where the psalmist says, there is none righteous, not one. So, question, how can Psalm 1 speak of the blessed man and righteous, and then in Psalm 14 say that there is no one who is righteous? Everyone by nature is part of the wicked. By nature, we are all part of the wicked. And yet, even in our psalm, there's a congregation of the righteous, which means that God has redeemed some. And in this psalm, that word man, the blessed, blesses the man, that word is singular. Think about that. That word is singular. The word for wicked is plural. And so there's two ways to understand this. One way is to say that the psalmist is just trying to make the point that there's not many righteous people. But I'm pretty sure that's not what the psalmist is saying. I think the psalmist wants us to look at this psalm and ask, how in the world am I going to be included among the righteous? How in the world 
Am I going to be included among the righteous? Because if you look back at verses 1 and 2, the verbs for those verses are in perfect tense. Meaning, blessed is the man who has never walked in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is the man who has never stood in the way of sinners, who has never sat in the seat of scoffers. Does that sound like any one of us? No. So there's a problem, a problem for all of us. According to Psalm 1, the blessed man never sinned. It describes a perfect man. And so this leads us to ask, then who is the blessed man? It can't be Abraham because he denied his wife and he told a lie about her. It can't be Moses because he killed a man and he lost his temper. It can't be David. He committed both murder and adultery. There is only one man who has ever lived and never sinned, Jesus Christ. How amazing is it that the very first verse of the Psalms points us to Jesus. Those who were the original readers of this psalm would have recognized that David and the kings that came after him didn't live up to be this blessed man. But now that Jesus has come, he is the only one whose sinless life and delight in God's law has earned him God's blessing. Jesus is the blessed man of Psalm one. Jesus is the man who didn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, but walked in perfect submission to his father. He didn't stand in the way of sinners. He was the friend of sinners, becoming the way himself that they would find salvation. Jesus is the man who doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, but he sits on a seat of mercy. Jesus is the man who delighted in the law of the Lord and who meditated on it day and night perfectly. So where does that leave us then? Well, the good news of the gospel is that the blessings of Psalm 1 become ours when we believe in Jesus. On the cross, Jesus took our sin upon himself, and gave us what? His righteousness. Jesus was treated as if he was the wicked one so that we could be treated as righteous. His obedience is now ours. So apart from the sovereign intervention of God, we would be hopelessly lost. But by God's grace, we have been planted. And verse 6 says that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Jared Wilson says this, to know of God is very important. To know about God is crucial to righteous living, but to be known by God trumps it all. There is nothing more precious than to be known by God, to be reconciled to him by the atoning work of his son, Jesus Christ. And not only that, 
If the spirit of Jesus lives inside of us, then that means that Jesus himself helps us to turn away from sin, helps us to delight in God's word and meditate on it day and night. True blessedness comes from the grace of God. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2 say this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. And so the blessed life begins when we turn from our sin and believe in Jesus. It's important to point out that your delight or your meditation on the law day and night doesn't make you righteous. It doesn't make you righteous. Jesus confronted the Pharisees and the scribes about this. He says that you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are that reveal me, for you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You can read and meditate on God's word all you want, but if you don't come to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you'll never be saved and you'll never be considered among the righteous. So now that means before you leave here today and say, well, I'm going to meditate on God's word day and night, you need to ask yourself this question first. Have I seen my need for the righteous one? Do I believe in Jesus Christ? Because I'm not righteous in and of myself, and I deserve the exact same destiny of the wicked. But God in his great mercy sent Jesus to be the true blessed man, to live, to die, and to rise on my behalf so that if I believe in him, I can be included among the congregation of the righteous. I think adults know this more than the young folks, but we all need to hear this. The choices that we make have consequences, and in this instance, have consequences for eternity. So you should be asking yourself not, what does this road offer me now? But where will this road lead in the end? Only one road leads to joy and true happiness. There's a wide gate and an easy way that leads to destruction, and many enter. And then there's this narrow gate, and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Martin Luther said this about this psalm, outside of faith in Christ, you should tremble at these words. The wicked are like chaff. They will not stand in the judgment, and their way will perish. Psalm 1 should drive all of us to Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I urge you to turn from your sins and believe in him and experience true blessedness. If you belong to Christ, 
then Psalm 1 should be the pattern of your life. Blessed is the man who turns away from their sin and finds joy in God's word. Christian, are you living a life distinct from the beliefs and behavior of the ungodly? Is your delight in the law of the Lord? Psalm 1 should lead us to bless Jesus' name, to see what he did and what we failed to do, and then begin to imitate him in his delight in the scriptures. So I encourage you today to be a people committed to not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but delight in God's word and meditate on it day and night. True blessedness comes from the grace of God. Jesus Christ is the source of true blessedness. Follow him in delighting and meditating on God's word.